Hello and welcome, fight fans, to another episode of the Neutral Corner Boxing Podcast, episode 197A to be exact. I am your host, Michael Montero, for Boxing Monthly Magazine and BoxingMonthly.com. So, not a lot going on in the ring last week. It was a pretty dead week in the sport. A couple of funny, wacky kind of things happened in the podcast world, though. So, we'll talk about that stuff. Um, and really, it's just going to be a Q&A kind of episode, guys. There's not a whole lot to discuss on the news front. Thursday will be a loaded show because we have a big pay-per-view uh, to preview. A big heavyweight fight between Deontay Wilder and Luis Ortiz, the rematch. We will preview that Thursday. But tonight, not a whole lot to talk about, man. Some of the um, podcasts, though, were kind of interesting last week. Some stuff popped up. You guys, I'm sure by now you've seen the title of this episode. Is the PBC belt coming in 2020 so i'll talk about that more in depth in just a second before i do guys i want to remind you to uh please spread the word about the podcast the channel and um if you have uh the new issue of ring magazine coming out this month uh, i have not one but two articles in that magazine so one is about Alexander Usyk's debut in the heavyweight division in chicago uh, last month and one is about the tragic passing of patrick day and my thoughts and reflections Happened the same night that I was there in Chicago that Alexander Usyk made his heavyweight debut. Uh, I was there uh, when everything um, went south for Patrick Day and that tragedy played out. So uh, make sure you check out those two pieces. And as always, check out Boxing Monthly Magazine. We got Alexander Usyk right on the cover this month, guys. And uh, be sure to check out the site. We have some great stuff out on the site. We have awesome world ratings on BoxingMonthly.com and British ratings. Sometimes it's interesting to kind of cross-reference the both of those. Uh, One quick news item. Okay, Devin Haney has a mandatory against Javier Fortuna. This was just ordered by the WBC. Of course, Devin Haney has the lightweight title with the BC. Uh, If they can't come to an agreement, there will be a purse bid on December 13th. So Javier Fortuna, for those of you who don't know much about him, PBC guy out of the Dominican Republic. It's no surprise a PBC fighter gets moved into a mandatory spot with the WBC. WBC does just as much business with the PBC as the WBO does with Top Rank and ESPN. You're kind of seeing more of these sanctioning organizations get aligned to the different promoters and the different networks, which is, to me, kind of concerning. But anyway, um, yeah, Javier Fortuna, Dominican Republic native, 35-2-1 as a pro. He fought for the vacant WBA junior lightweight title back in 2015. I'm sorry, he, he won the vacant title back then, had one defense, and then lost by TKO to Jason Sosa in 2016 in his second defense. And then um, now he's rated number seven by the ring. So Devin Haney's next title defense is going to be against Javier Fortuna. All things considered, naturally smaller guy and everything else, but most experienced opponent of Haney's career I don't think he's good enough to push Haney or really test him, but he's certainly going to be the best opponent of his career. So I thought that was interesting, but that's the level of opponent at at max that you're going to see Devin Haney fight for the next 12 to 18 months. And I'm cool with that. As I've said a few times in recent episodes, he needs to develop. He needs rounds. He needs to fight guys. And I'd, I'd call Javier Fortuna lower top 10 lightweight. So, I think that will be a good good fight for Haney, good developmental fight. Okay, last week, Monday, November 11th, Delphine Pearsoon scored a unanimous decision win over Helen Joseph, won the interim WBA 130-pound title. 
And November 15th, on Friday, the Maloney brothers out of Australia fought in Melbourne on ESPN+. Plus. Both won. MTK Global Card from Liverpool on ESPN+. Plus. Rocky Fielding, Martin Murray, and Terry Flanagan beat Donut Delivery Boys. UFC Fight Pass Card from Salt Lake City, Junior Fa stayed undefeated. A New Zealand heavyweight prospect. I, I just, another journeyman took him the distance. I am not impressed or excited or nor do I expect big things from Junior Fi. He's just not on that level. He's just not a guy that I really got an eye on. He is an undefeated heavyweight, so at some point he will probably work his way into a title shot because that's the era we're in right now. But I just don't see anything there. Also, a Samson boxing card on Showbox from Sloan, Iowa. Several prospects were on there. Not really, not really a whole lot going on, man. Most of these were domestic-level matchups, complete mismatches, showcase-type fights. Saturday, November 16th, there was a Golden Boy Promotions card from Mexico on Facebook. Watch Pablo Cesar Cano defended a piece of his WBC 140-pound title. I think it's a minor title. It's not even the full title, obviously. So that was it last week, guys. Just not a whole lot going on. So what do we do on a slow news week? Other than kind of troll a little bit on Twitter, which I did last weekend. It was a lot of fun. We listen to podcasts and we look at videos and stuff like that. Now, some of them, uh, there was a couple of these YouTube whack jobs from the LDVC that put out uh, some just concerning videos. Like one of these guys in particular, I'm not even going to mention him by name. Some of you guys in the chat probably already know who, who I'm talking about. But one guy in particular, he's just seems to be getting more and more mentally unhinged. And I, I had issues with this dude years ago. And I kind of just wrote him out of my life a few years ago and refused to even deal with him or mention him by name then. And um, I worked behind the scenes to get some things done with this dude because he was a major issue but he's just gotten worse and worse he's yeah. <laughs> i saw your comment there yeah he said it all i'm not i'm not gonna go into details with this person's name <laughs> a few of you know who i'm talking about but this guy put out a video that is just borderline scary now look i don't want to make light of some of the tragedies we've had in this country and around the world with some of these school shootings and um just public shootings, okay? Because it's it's absolutely tragic. We had another one last week, and I don't want to get into a political debate with guns and all this stuff. But this particular person, who you guys, several of you are mentioning there in the chat, uh, how, who will remain nameless from me, I'm concerned that this person's going to end up shooting up a mall or something. I'm not even trying to say that as a joke. I'm genuinely concerned. This person seems to be falling into mental illness almost. And I hope that some of the people in his life have a real talk with him uh, because the stuff that he's been posting publicly is just getting scary. It's, it's beyond extreme. He's beyond an extremist. But myself and other members of the credentialed media, again, back in Los Angeles several years ago, this goes back three, four years, uh, saw issues with this person who, who would try to publicly on... YouTube challenge myself and, and some of my peers, but then in person turn into a scared little bitch. And you know, there were multiple times where I confronted this individual in person and boy did their personality change. Tried to shake my hand and shit like that. And that's kind of the way some of these YouTubers are. 
it doesn't just exist in the LDBC. And I'm, I'm not interested in getting into YouTube beefs on Twi- um, YouTube, making videos back and forth. If one of these dudes wants to fight me in the ring on the zone, sign me up for some of that shit. I'd love to get some of Eddie Hearn's money beating the shit out of one of these guys. That'd be awesome. But I'm not going to go into a back and forth on YouTube with these guys. But several of them are complete and utter frauds. The, the personal life that they live is completely different than the personality they put on on YouTube. Some of these guys put on these militant and extremist, racially extremist attitudes, you know, to market themselves to an extremist fan base online to make money off them. And then they go home to a person, a significant other and children that they take care of that are of another race. So they're complete frauds in their personal life. But they align themselves with friends, with certain promotions and platforms, and that's how they can get access. This one particular person put out a video that was so extreme, actually several videos months ago, that were so extreme and so whacked out that even their friends had to turn their back on them. So now they're making videos dissing their friends. I could go into a lot of details, but there's so much of it that's off the record, guys, I'm already kind of speaking so vaguely here that people who don't know who I'm talking about listening to this episode are going to be like, what the hell? They're going to get bored. So I'm going to move on. But uh, there's just so much that I can't say on the record. But trust me, you, you get to know a lot about the thing in boxing is people talk. People in the industry, people in power, uh, the, the power brokers talk. There's only a, a handful of personalities in boxing that... Uh, really, really keep a quiet profile. Al Heyman, obviously, being the most notable one who does not talk to people, obviously. There's only a handful of people he talks to. But most other people in boxing, behind closed, closed doors, talk. And, and the things that you learn, the, the, the information that I've become privy to, particularly, I started blogging about boxing back in the middle 2000s, like 2003, 2004. That's when I first started blogging on the old school eastsideboxing.com, Boxing News 24. That's where I started blogging. And I didn't know what the hell I was doing. I could barely formulate a sentence. And from there, I've worked my way up into business. But the last five years or so, I've made myself a player in the boxing press in the United States. And that's really when I started to build relationships on a, on a grander scale and learn things. And man, do you learn some interesting shit. I swear to God. There's, I, I could write a book one day. Seriously. I could already write a book. And I'm a, I'm a pup in this business. I can't imagine 20 years from now the type of book I could write. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, book. Let's move forward to a, a podcast I could talk about publicly. Okay? And we could drop names here. Because a lot of you guys have asked me about this. Chris Mannix, who calls fights for the zone. Uh, he's he's covered boxing for a long time, including some publications, some mainstream sports publications in the past, where he was like the last boxing guy at several publications, okay? But he still does a podcast. Now, I don't listen to it a whole lot. I, I, I just don't. I don't. There's only a handful of boxing podcasts I listen to. But several people told me, look, you got to listen to this one this week. He had Bill Wagner, the head of programming at Fox, as it relates to boxing, PBC. I don't know if he's the head of programming for all of Fox. I think he's the head of programming for sports or something like that. He's the point guy for Fox, for PBC on Fox. 
he was on with Chris Mannix on their podcast this week. And they talked about PBC. And I got to give it to Chris Mannix. He, he did ask some tough questions. Now, we let Bill Wagner off the hook, but he, he kind of had to. When you have a guest on your show, you can't pound the guy into the ground, okay? You can ask hard questions, but you can't hold a gun to their head and force them to answer him honestly. So Bill Wagner did a lot of spinning as it relates to PBC, but you could read between the lines with most of his answers. And then uh, there are some things that he was honest and forthright about. One of them being the PBC belt. He, f- he straight up said it. Now, I'm sure this guy is going to get a slap on the wrist when he gets back in some meetings because people are going to say, dude, we don't be telling people that shit. That's not part of our motto. We don't discuss things publicly with the media. We don't discuss things in a transparent fashion with the fans. We just surprise them with shit. I hate to say it, but that's pretty much the way the PBC does business for the most part, more so than other promoters. But I've talked about this for years, and I'm not the only one. I'm not trying to say this is my, my ideal or, idea or whatever. But for years, when the PBC first came out, and it was kind of a hostile takeover attempt, in this situ- and I, I'm, I do not want to make this an anti-PBC show. They've done a lot of great things, and they've put together a lot of great fights, and they have forced the other promoters to react and up their game and they have helped bring boxing back to network tv so there's a lot of good things the pbc has done however you go back to like 2014 2015 all this gets announced it was basically a hostile takeover attempt and it was very very clear what they were trying to do then and now it's becoming even more clear the way they've aligned themselves politically with the networks and everything else What they want to do, Al Heyman's grandmaster plan, is to be the UFC of boxing. And we've been saying this for a while. And you guys can find interviews. Well, the the old school show on um, the Undisputed Champion Network with myself, Doug Fisher, Steve Kim. We had Ken Miller on there. He's a writer who's been around for ages. Uh, Dave Smith, radio personality, been around for ages. We had other guests on there. And we talked about this. We talked about PBC multiple times as it was just rolling out. And we talked about the fact that, yeah, they're probably going to try one day to have a PBC belt. So think about the UFC. Let's switch over to MMA real quick. I know that there's uh, Bellator, I think, is another MMA brand. I don't know if Strike Force is still around. One of you guys could tell me. But when you think MMA, you think UFC. They are synonymous with MMA. UFC has taken over every other outfit, sometimes through shady means. Dana White was a shady dude who did some nasty stuff behind the scenes, but he did what he had to do to make UFC the premier attraction. So Jem is telling me Bellator is on the zone. That is correct. Yeah, that's right. Bellator is on the zone. So they're, I don't know if they're the biggest competitor for UFC or not, but I know they're one of them. That's where I've heard of that before. I don't know much about MMA. Um, but UFC is synonymous with MMA. So, so the UFC champion is pretty much seen as the champion. Now, occasionally there's a guy in Bellator or whatever, Strike Force, Pride, all those other organizations before that would get up, build up a huge profile. And there would, I don't know, guys, would there ever be a unification kind of thing? I don't know if that exists over there. Risen is the new thing, says SSB28. I haven't even heard of Risen. I have no freaking idea. But... I think that that is the plan over at PBC is to become the UFC of boxing. And part of that is making a PBC belt. 
you guys have already, you've, you've seen the plans go in motion where they don't even announce Terrence Crawford's name in the you know welterweight division when they do a breakdown on a PBC broadcast of all the top welterweights Terrence Crawford's name isn't even up there right and so Chris Mannix asked Bill Wagner about that on his show last week and Bill Wagner said oh well that's because he has the WBO belt we don't recognize the WBO belt that that was just spin that was complete and utter bullshit because you can mention Terrence Crawford without mentioning the belt you absolutely could. By the way, Andy Ruiz has the WBO belt, and they mention his name. They don't mention the belt, but they mention Andy Ruiz's name. So you can mention Terrence Crawford, pound for pound, probably the best fighter on earth. You can mention his name. If you don't want to include the WBO title because you don't recognize it, fine. But I'll tell you guys why the PBC doesn't recognize the WBO title. Because they don't want to do business with top rank. Top Rank is a direct competitor on ESPN, the biggest sports network in America. That's where they're on, right? Top Rank is on ESPN and ESPN Plus here in the States. And PBC has no desire to do business with them. They do not want to do unification fights with them. Mikey Garcia wanted no part. Maybe Mikey Garcia wanted to fight Vasily Lomachenko. I was just about to say he wanted no part of him. Maybe that wasn't a Mikey Garcia decision. Somebody in... The PBC got to him and said, look, dude, move up two divisions. Let's use you to build up Errol Spence's name. You go in there, you go the distance, you win the moral victory, and we will double, triple your pay under the table. Nobody has to know about that. Here's some money in a duffel bag. Do this. Dump that lightweight title. That's the kind of stuff that's happening over there. Now, that's not to say that that sort of shadiness doesn't happen with other promotions. Eddie Hearn's pulling a fast one on everybody right now with the Julio Cesar Chavez situation. Okay, Moving that fight to Arizona where the commissioner there is just happy to have a big fight in Phoenix. They're not going to adhere to the temporary suspension handed down by Bob Bennett in Nevada when Chavez refused to take a VADA te- or provide a sample to a VADA official to be tested uh, last month, I think it was, when he was at the gym at Wildcard in Hollywood. So other promoters do shady shit, guys. Again, I'm not trying to single out PBC, but this particular podcast with Chris Mannix and Bill Wagner was about PBC programming on Fox and what the future is going to be. Now, I don't like this shit, okay? And I'm just going to call it out. We already have a very divided world, right? Top ranks on ESPN. You guys on the situation with the zone. And then you got PBC on Fox. And it's bad enough that we already have that three-headed monster. But at least, at least, the guys at ESPN and the zone have been working together a little bit this year. We saw Julio's, uh, I'm sorry, uh, Jose Carlos Ramirez, who is an ESPN top ranked fighter, fight on the zone against Maurice Hooker to unify titles. We've seen a couple fights like that. We've seen Regis Progre, a guy who has fought on ESPN recently, fight on the zone because he was in a World Boxing Super Series. We saw that with Sergey Kovalev. He's, a, he's signed with top rank. Uh, they have options on him, but he's a main events guy. He was fighting on ESPN for a while, and then he, he fought on the zone. So we've seen some cross-promotional stuff happening on that side of the universe. On PBC, though, it is very, very clear. They have no intention of doing that. They want to have their own universe. Bill Wagner said it best. You know, Al Heyman represents almost 200 fighters. 
Now, he said that Al Heyman represents 99% of the best fighters in the world. That's bullshit. He does represent a huge number of fighters, though. And when you have that many fighters, there's enough going on there that you could promote. And especially if you're promoting to a younger, youthful fan base that isn't the most educated with all the nuances of global boxing, there's just more interested in seeing American names fight. It's easy to market to them and to do a PBC title. So who's to say, guys, that a year or two from now, Errol Spence will be the PBC welterweight champion? And there, I guarantee you guys, I guarantee you, there will be YouTubers, some of these guys that actually get credentialed to cover events. There will be YouTube channels and even credentialed media writers defending the PBC belt and calling Errol Spence the real champion because he has the PBC title. Not demanding that he fight Terrence Crawford to figure out who the best welterweight in the world is. So we will get to a point where it'll be like MMA, where there's a UFC champion, a Bellator champion, a Risen champion, a Pride champion, and they don't fight each other. Now, if that does happen in MMA, correct me if I'm wrong, guys, but to my knowledge, they don't fight each other. It just so happens that UFC is the premier league, if you will, in MMA. So the UFC fans really don't give a shit about seeing the top UFC guys fight the the top Bellator guys, because they see the UFC product as being superior. Okay, kind of like the way NBA fans don't give a damn if the NBA champion plays against the champion of the Spanish League or the Argentinian League, because they see the NBA champion as being superior. So, okay, a boxing lawyer makes a good point. He said, Wagner said on the show that there is a plan for the middleweight Charlo, I think that's Jermel Charlo, to fight on other platforms in 2020. Yeah, I, I, that's a good point, boxing lawyer. But you got you to gotta do some math there. Why would they let Charlo fight on other platforms? Because PBC doesn't have any middle, or middleweights. There's no middleweights for, Charlo, for Jermel Charlo to fight. Nobody. Unless, now, Jared Hurd moved up, and it, so there will be some. But if they want top fights where they're making big money, he's got to fight on the zone. So they, they might do a one-off and everything. But for Errol Spence at welterweight, let's say, they got enough welterweights that he can fight. And again, once Tony Harrison moves up, once um, I know Hurd is moving up, if J-Rock moves up, then maybe Jamal Charlo, who I think already beat J-Rock, but you get my point. He'd have some PBC guys to fight. It's the same thing with Deontay Wilder. At heavyweight, they're marketing obviously for that big Tyson Fury rematch. But after that, if you got a PBC champion and your fan base, which includes a lot of these YouTube guys um, and a lot of look, guys, there are several writers who write for pretty reputable platforms. But these, some of these guys just write articles for the PBC's website. That's who they write articles for. These are guys who are members of the Boxing Writers Association of America. Then they write for the PBC's website and they do a podcast for the PBC. Now, they're they're professional boxing writers. They're in the, the union even. But how can you say they're not compromised? Boxing lawyer, I, I get it. He says the ring is owned by Golden Boy. The ring is owned by the same company that owns Golden Boy, I do believe. However... 
we don't write, I'll speak for myself, we don't write articles on Golden Boy Promotions website. And we don't just cover Golden Boy Promotions fighters. And we have very stringent rules that we stick to. When Canelo Alvarez was suspended by the Nevada State Athletic Commission for the whole clenbuterol thing, we took him off our ratings. We stripped him of his middleweight title. Okay? So, and gold, he's the biggest Golden Boy Promotions fighter, obviously, that there is. Now, some of the brass at Golden Boy did not like that decision, and we had to fight with them. Editor Doug Fisher fought a lot with some of the executives at Golden Boy Promotion to, to get that done because they didn't want to do it. So we've gone against Golden Boy Promotions' wishes numerous times, and we do reports on every damn fight from every platform. And our ring ratings committee is compromised of people, or, sorry, comprised of members from all over the world who write for different platforms, including some people that are linked to PBC. So I would say we are nowhere near as compromised. Now, full disclosure, yes, we are owned by the same parent company, but you can't compare us to some of these media members who literally write puff pieces for PBC and write for either the PBC's website or websites that are owned by companies that PBC does business with. That's been happening for years. This is not good. If the plan is to do a PBC belt, I don't know how you can support that. Now, if Matchroom makes a Matchroom belt and Top Rank makes a Top Rank belt, I will shit all over that as well. But some of you guys are so determined to defend PBC. It's become a, a political stance. It's like having a debate about stricter gun laws with an NRA member. You just can't, okay? And I, I'm not saying I neither support or don't support that, okay? I'm just make, using that as an example, guys. Please, let's not get into that. Jesus Christ, that's a rabbit hole, a huge one. But it's become like that divisive, you are not allowed to criticize PBC with some people. There are just some members of, again, I, I, I would say media with quotes, but some of these guys are in the Boxing Writers Association of America, which I think is compromised as it is and biased itself. But these are guys who write for a living and get paid for it. That, in my opinion, are heavily, heavily biased. And you're not allowed to criticize that platform at all, or you're labeled as a hater, or one of those words that ends with I-S-T, which is ridiculous, just absolutely ridic ridiculous. And here's another thing about the PBC on Fox specifically that I don't like. Since last December, December 1st of 2018, Deontay Wilder, Tyson Fury, obviously was pay-per-view. Wilder's going to fight another pay-per-view this, week, this weekend, right? So within 12 calendar months, that is a calendar year, that is six pay-per-views guys two for wilder two for pacquiao two for spence that combined with your showtime subscription which is about 12 13 a month guys if you are a pbc fan and again a lot of these youtuber guys are in real good with pbc by all the pay-per-views they are the biggest fans pbc has for some of these youtube guys that's six hundred dollars do the math six pay-per-views times eighty dollars times or plus about 12 bucks, 13 bucks a month for Showtime, which hasn't done shit for you. So much for Deontay Wilder being uh, 
loyal to Showtime, huh? $600 fans are being charged to watch those fights. That is not good. We have a super chat pledge from Harrison Property. Thank you very much. Thank you so much, man. I appreciate it. He says, uh, evidently, Chavez Jr. hadn't signed the Jacobs fight contract yet when he was requested to provide a test. Yes, Harrison Property, again, thank you for the super chat. That is the spin that Eddie Hearn is giving. Um, that is the Chavez team is giving. And they've moved it to Arizona where uh, there will be drug testing from an unreputable company I've never heard of that is nowhere near as qualified or as uh, credible as Vada. And they're saying, oh, now that the fight's signed, he'll start doing drug testing. It just screams of shadiness, dude. It just screams of shadiness. And it's a, a bad system that we have right now where if one state hands down a suspension, other states don't have to um, adhere to it. They don't have to honor it. Our, our state regulatory system in the USA is completely broken. And I'm actually writing an article about that right now for the next issue of Ring because um, it, it shouldn't happen. So there's, so there's a commission meeting in Nevada, November 20th. So this Wednesday. And they wanted Chavez and his representatives to come in and explain themselves. And if they came into that meeting and explained, that, well, hey, dude, I hadn't signed the contract yet, so I wasn't going to do testing, whatever. Um, you know, maybe they would have listened to that and said, okay. But according to the bylaws of the NSAC, Nevada State Athletic Commission, once you get a, once you apply for a fight to happen in their jurisdiction, once the promoter comes in and secures a venue, a date, you know, and gets licensed for it and all that in their jurisdiction, they can start drug testing the fighters. They don't have to wait until the fighters sign with the promoter or anything like that. They can start going. So they do, and this was drug testing through the commission that they pay for and they use VADA to administer it. They don't always use VADA, but VADA is generally who they use. They're located right there in Nevada. And uh, an agent traveled to, uh, to Wildcard, to the Wildcard Gym in Hollywood to collect a sample from Chavez and stay there, I believe like over four hours while the commission reps and VADA reps contacted Matchroom. Matchroom then contacted Chavez and really tried to get him to provide a sample. This went on for hours, dude. It's not like the agent popped in and they said no and he left. This dude was there for hours at Wildcard Boxing Gym. And again, the folks at Matchroom tried in vain to get Chavez to comply and provide the sample. He simply would not do it. So this is shady as hell. So I appreciate the super chat, but I wanted to provide that extra information because I don't know if that's out there publicly. Anyway, guys, I don't like the PBC belt thing. It's probably going to happen. I don't like the $600 that fans were charged in a calendar year if you bought all the fights and you paid for Showtime. Even if you didn't pay for Showtime, what is 80 times 6? $480? And I think they're actually $85 a pop. So you guys were charged $500 even just for PBC on Fox. Now, I hear some of you saying, well, I'm Team Stream. I don't pay for every pay-per-view. Yeah, but you probably paid for one or two of them. Admit it. Maybe you streamed some of them, but you paid for one or two of them. Most people out there will buy one or two of them and stream a couple others, or maybe they don't catch every single one of them. But I can tell you right now, some people do. 
I know them because they tell me about it. You guys talk to me. There are boxing degenerates out there that buy everything, right? You guys buy the bare knuckle boxing pay-per-views, all that shit. So, yeah, good comment from here um, from from Jem. Jem J. Border Wars. He says, Wilder versus Ortiz 2 is not worth 75 bucks. And it's 75 bucks for uh, standard definition, my man. I think it's 85 for high definition. You guys correct me if I'm wrong, but that's generally what they do. They tack on 10 bucks for high def. Who the hell doesn't order high def anymore for 10 bucks more? So I think it's actually 85. But some of, several of these fights are not pay-per-view worthy. Now I got to say, the Spence Porter fight and the undercard was probably the best pay-per-view that PBC has had in the past year. Because I think that that was a good main event that lived up to expectations. It actually exceeded them, in my opinion. And um, it had a pretty good undercard. So that was maybe, you know, maybe you pony up for one of them or something. But most of these fights, guys, they don't rate pay-per-view. But Deontay Wilder twice, Pacquiao twice, Spence twice. It's clear that those three names, and those are the biggest names in PBC, they're promoting those guys as pay-per-view fighters. And twice a year, you guys are going to have to pony up for that. And on top of that, they're going to fight eventually for a PBC title. And that means you're, not, you're going to be paying for these pay-per-views. That's one thing if you're paying for Errol Spence and Terrence Crawford, that pay-per-view. I'm sure you'd pony up for that, but you're not going to get that. You're not going to get that, guys. So anyway, that's just my opinions on that slow week. So I thought I'd chime in. Vegan Dad says, Killer Hat. Thank you, my man. It was uh, bought, actually, a gift from a friend of mine in Las Vegas. Got it right from Roy Jones' gym. Pretty damn awesome. Pretty damn awesome. So, all right, guys. We'll do a couple of questions here. Then we're going to bounce out of here. Now, did I hit on every subject? Because I want to make sure, because a few of you guys asked me about some things. Oh, you know what? There was one thing, I think Juan Valverde asked about this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Juan says, Sergey Kovalev's statement. Let me, let me hit on this. Oh, and then Selun Mooney asks, uh, what's the Kelly Swanson story? What's his power? Okay, real quick. Let me, let me do the Kelly Swanson thing real quick. And then Juan, I'll get to the Kovalev thing. Okay, and then we're going to leave it at that, guys. So Kelly Swanson, one of these whacked out YouTubers made a video about her and made it really just awkward and racial, which is unnecessary. And then um, considering the guy's personal life, uh, he's dated people who look like Kelly Swanson. It's just, it's just odd. It's just very, very odd. And he lives in a neighborhood of 90% Kelly Swanson's and ran for office there. It, just strange, okay? This person is meant... I, I really think mental illness is there. That's why I don't want to mention the name and beat up on the individual. But he made a video talking about Kelly Swanson's power. So look, very quickly, Kelly Swanson is the, the, the PR person with PBC. And she does a terrific job. She does an outstanding job. For all the criticism I've given PBC, anytime I've covered an event, and I've covered several of their major events this year, you guys know I traveled to cover both Errol Spence fights this year. Anytime I need something, I remember um, in Dallas calling the, the we, get a, we get like a breakdown of fight week activities, and then we get a, a number to call if we have, need anything or I called and I talked to Kelly and she was awesome. She, she, I had some questions and, and, you know, wanted to know if I could do a certain thing for like certain uh, stuff for videos and, and interviews. And she, she couldn't have been more friendly to me. Um, works very well with everybody. Does an outstanding job. 
She is the PR person for PBC. And one thing Al Heyman does is he works with, because he likes to remain in the shadows, he works with point people. You know, Tim Smith does an outstanding job for PBC. And um, Sam Watson does a terrific job. Kelly Swanson does a terrific job. So those are like three of Al's point people that basically do the work for P- And then they have a bunch of promoters they work with, like Tom Brown, who does an outstanding job promoting cards for them. And these, these are folks of various ethnicities and, and you know, racial backgrounds and everything. The majority of the people working behind the scenes, I won't even say the majority, but a lot of them do happen to be African-American, but some of them are European-American. Who gives a flying fuck? No, nobody should care. In fact, that's a good thing. <laughs> There's different people working with PBC behind the scenes, or publicly, I should say, because Al works behind the scenes, and these folks are the public faces that do the work. So that's Kelly Swanson is just part of that. And she has a very successful PR firm that's worked with uh, closely with Al Heyman for years. And everyone's kind of had, you know, a run-in with Kelly at some point or another. And that happens. If you work in a business long enough and you, you cover enough fights, you're going to have run-ins with everybody. Every single promotion. Promoter, advisor, whatever is going to be pissed off at you at some point. But you get over it and you continue working together. And so, like, I have nothing bad to say about Kelly Swanson. Or again, uh, Sam Watson, um, uh, Tim Smith, any of those guys. They, Tom Brown, uh, those guys all do a great job. It, 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 I criticize some of the things PBC does as I spent 10, 20 minutes doing on this episode. But it doesn't mean that they don't do an outstanding job um, and, and aren't very, very good working with us. Anytime I've needed to interview a fighter for PBC, and I've interviewed several of them for Boxing Monthly Magazine, for The Ring Magazine, um, anytime that I've covered an event and had a question or needed something, folks have been awesome. Anybody that I've talked with has been awesome. And so, you know, for people to go after Kelly Swanson and beat her up and then make it some racial thing between her and Al Heyman, that's just weird and bizarre. Just, just odd. Harrison Property with another Super Chat pledge. He says, thanks for another terrific episode, Mike. We appreciate your consistent hard work. Dude, thank you very much. That means a lot to me. That means a lot to me because I really do put in hours and hours of work a week. Believe it or not, guys, it takes a lot of work just to organize notes and and do this show. And I take time out of my week to do this for you guys. So it means a lot to me when you say that you get something out of it. So thank you again, Harrison Property. And thank you to everybody that's watching now on YouTube and listening later on all the platforms around the world. So, okay, one last topic. Uh, Sergey Kovalev posted a video. I, I don't know what, if it was Instagram or YouTube, but it was somewhere out there. I think it was in Russian. It was loosely translated. The translation was really poor. Some of the wording that I've seen used on some websites that have published it and some of the people making YouTube videos talking about it are doing a really rough, weak translation of it. So sometimes, guys, when you translate, but not, not just between languages, but between cultures, things can get lost in translation. You could take a, a person from Mexico who's speaking a particular Mexican dialect from a particular region and it's not just how you translate the words to English, but it's 
there's some cultural things, the way things are said and expressed, right? In Mexico, that's different than America. That's different from Russia. That's different from Italy, from wherever. It's different from Nigeria, from Japan. So there's cultural um, translation as well. And a lot of times, especially if you just throw something in Google and say, translate this, it's horrible. But loosely speaking, what Sergey Kovalev said on this video is basically, look, I had no chance to beat Canelo Alvarez. It was such a great deal financially. I had to take the fight with him. But it, to, to make the weight was, a, was hard as hell. And to, uh, to turn around and have a short camp was hard. I had, there was no damn way I could win that fight. And you're an idiot if you thought I could. Now, some people are taking this literally as him saying, everyone out there who thought, who picked me to beat Canelo or bet money on me to beat Canelo is stupid. I don't necessarily think that's what Sergey meant. I think what he was trying to say is, you're crazy if you think I was going to win this fight, whether it was on the cards or I was going to get a fair shake. This was obviously supposed to be Canelo the A-side winning this damn fight. I took the fight because it was such a great deal. I tried my best. That is what it is. Now, in some way, that's Sergey Kovalev making excuses and maybe being a little bitter on how he lost. But guys, how many of you, maybe not you guys watching the show, but you've seen people for the past month, or it hasn't been a month, it's been a few weeks, have been going on and on and on about Sergey Kovalev took a dive. That fight was staged. It was a setup. Get the hell out. So the guy's been called a quitter for two weeks. He's, he's been called a, an actor who, who took a dive in a fight. He's obviously reacting, and he put out some social media posts that's been, uh, again, loosely translated. And I, I think culturally, understanding a little bit about the Eastern European culture and the way fighters that I've seen speak in Russian to a Russian audience versus the way they speak to a global audience very different. I think all he was basically saying is, yeah, I took the damn fight. I tried my best, but there was no way in hell I was going to win. I tried to, but I wasn't going to win that damn fight. You're crazy if you thought I had a chance to win. He's basically saying, yo, man, it was me versus the establishment. You know how that shit goes. Now, to me, again, I think that's kind of bullshit. He shouldn't say it. I think it's kind of ridiculous because uh, he was doing pretty well on the scorecards. Well, no, actually, you have let me take that back. He was doing well with the uh, press row scorecards and the fan scorecards. Not doing so well with the Nevada scorecards. But he was doing pretty well in the fight. Um, but he look, man, he signed to take the fight. He agreed to the rehydration clause. He agreed to the six-week camp. I think it was a total nine-week turnaround. Sergey and his team agreed to that because they got like $12, $13 million dollars. Boxing lawyer says the judges' scores were fair. I agree. I think it was 86-84 Canelo. I don't think that was a bad score. I don't think... You could make an argument that it was an even fight or something at the time of the stoppage, but 86-84 for Canelo wasn't way out of there. Boxing lawyer says two had a draw. I think one had a draw. I think two had an 86-84 boxing lawyer. I think. I think two had it a two-point fight and one had it a draw, which I thought was in the realm of possibility. Those were fine scorecards. But I think Sergey Kovalev, again, was expressing in that video basically what guys like me said the whole time that fight was signed, that 
look, again, I thought it was going to go the distance, and it would have if Sergey could have not got hit with that overhand right to the back of his ear. But um, I, I knew Canelo was going to win, and just there was too many extenuating circumstances. There was too much gray area, right? Too much asterisks. So I, I didn't make too much of Sergey Kovalev's video. Look, fighters say crazy shit all the time. Now, he took the damn fight. He knew what he was signing up for. He shouldn't make excuses. I would, if, I, if I was his friend, let's say, and he was there making that video, I'd say, you know what, Sergey, sh- shut up. You signed the damn fight. You made $13 million. You knew what you were getting into. Was the scale tipped? Yeah, of course. The scale's always tipped when you're fighting Canelo or, or whoever the A-side is. But shut the fuck up. You signed the contract. You knew what you were doing. You're a big boy. You got paid. Deal with it. That's basically what I would tell him. I'd give him some tough love if I was his friend to say, delete that damn post. Ultimately, though, um, <laughs> what he said was, was a good point to a certain degree. Okay? Uh, anyway, I think that's it, guys. Um, well, let's see here. Juan Valverde says, the problem is this gives fuel to the conspiracy theorists. I got the link by a guy who said it was fixed. He was saying, I told you so. That's a great point, Juan. That's a great, and actually, that's what I would say to Sergey. If, if, if I could get a direct line to him, I would say, dude, now all the people that thought the fight was fixed, you just gave them reason to believe that. But that's the thing on social media these days, dude. How many times have we seen a fighter clearly lose a decision, clearly lose, but then he bitches, oh, I got robbed. I got robbed. And his fans, his supporters on Twitter will be like, he did get robbed. That he's, he's right. You did get robbed. That's all you got to do now. All you got to say is something. And your followers will just believe it. There, there's a certain group of people that always have to think, oh, the fix is in. They always got to think. So, so like Manny Pacquiao versus Keith Thurman. There are people out there who probably think Keith Thurman won that fight. Keith Thurman, oh, I got, I'm not saying he said this, but if he just, oh, was it Broner? Oh, Isaiah, there you go. There's a great example. Adrian Broner says, I got robbed. I, I, beat, or I beat Manny Pacquiao. And there were people out there saying, yeah, man, that was a close fight. Could have won either way. Bullshit. That was basically a shutout. Not exactly, but basically. Pacquiao dominated Broner. It wasn't even close. So that's all you got to do now on social. And maybe Sergey saw people doing that, so he did his own version of it. But in the end, again, he signed, he signed the contract, and he's a big boy, and he got paid. And he got knocked out fair and square. If he didn't like the timeline and everything else, he shouldn't have taken the damn fight. But that's the way this business works, guys. All right. So Thursday night show, we got a big, big fight preview. We got a lot coming up this weekend, the big pay-per-view fight. We got some other fights, too. We got a card on the zone, um, a couple of cards on the zone. So we'll be talking about that Thursday night, guys. All right. Going to go eat some dinner now and relax. I hope you guys uh, enjoyed the show. It was more of a just ranting and raving kind of show, which is fun to do sometimes. So uh, spread the word about the show, all right? Get it out there, guys. I appreciate all the support. I'll see you in a couple days. See you at the fights. 